Psalm 7, starting at verse 12. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have refused my ally with evil or without cause have wronged my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather round, around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples, vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked, and make the righteous secure you, you the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready to spring the arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord. Uh, if you are new here, you can probably tell from my accent, I am American. Um, however, I did marry a Brit and have been in the UK for more than four and a half years. I'm very grateful for the time that God has allowed me to be here in this country. But if you know anything about having a visa to live in a foreign country, you quickly learn that there are times where you can't do anything but pray to God. Applying for a visa to live in a foreign country is no ordinary feat. The UK Visa and Immigration Department holds power to allow you to remain in this country or not. When you're applying, you need to make sure that you're extra careful. Make sure there's no typos, no missing information, anything like that could lead to a potential delay in the process. So back in April, it was time to renew my visa to stay in the UK. I had two ministry trips coming up in July. So on the government website, I was looking at it and it says, okay, the processing time is about eight weeks. My trips were 11 weeks away. So I was like, all right, it's gonna be a tight turnaround, but yeah, I think this can work. Eight weeks and one day later, I hadn't heard anything. So, like, all right, I need to call the UK visa department. So I finally got a hold of someone, and they said there was no way that they could get me a status update, but they could give me an address. An email address, I asked? No, a postal address. You can send a letter. A letter? <laughs> I applied online, and now I have to send a paper letter. Who writes paper letters anymore? So, I like, all right, I will have to remember how to write a letter. Um, so I wrote it, went to the post office, made sure it was tracked, and made sure that it, yes indeed, went to the visa department the very next day. And still, no response. First trip, I missed it. Second trip, 
minus that one. So by this point, I was getting a mix of emotions. Sadness, anger, confusion, dejection. Surely, I've done everything asked of me. If the visa department says eight weeks, why aren't they following their own timeline? Why are they making me miss my trips? Why are they making me suffer? They need to make this situation right. But silence was deafening. I didn't know what to do. I found out that as there's no way to contact the visa department, I had to wait. So with my earthly options limited, I could only pray and go to God. Pray for my visa to come. Pray that God would make it right. However, as the silence continued, that soon turned me into questioning God. What's God doing? These aren't just holidays I'm going to. They're for work. There's a missions conference, a missions trip that I'm leading. Surely God knows what he's doing, right? He wouldn't just let me wait like this. God could bring the visa at any moment. What is he waiting for? Or am I praying the wrong thing here? Now, I'm not saying that my situation is as dire as David's situation. David is legit legitimately in a life or death situation, crying out to God because he doesn't know what to do. But I think the similarity is that we are both in situations where we feel some kind of injustice, and there is no good earthly solution. The only place to go is to God. We need help. So we are beginning a new series called Prayers of the Heart. Today in Psalm 7, we see David's heart in the face of suffering and persecution. He has nowhere else to go, so he cries out for help to God in anguish, afraid of being torn apart like a lion and ripped to shreds by his enemies. He is in the face of injustice. As we walk through David's heartfelt prayer, we can see that some of it is crying out. Some of it is like listing facts. And some are strong requests for God to act. But there is an intentionality about this prayer. By the end, we can see through David's prayer journey that he reaffirms his belief that God is the best judge, even in his turmoil. So as we are taking a journey with David regarding God's justice, it's important to note the state that David is in. This psalm is called a shigayan, I hope I pronounced that right, which roughly translates to a song or lyrical poem composed under strong mental emotion. It's very evident that David is in distress. David asked the Lord to save and deliver him. David's situation compels him to go to God because he has nowhere else to go. Not only is David going to God, but he is also pleading his innocence. David is accused of robbery and repaying a friend with evil. And he would welcome death if, look in verse 3, there is guilt on my hands. It's never a good idea to subject yourself willingly to God's wrath unless you know you are innocent. <coughs> Nevertheless, 
David is wrongly accused, and his enemies will tear him apart like a lion. So he pleads with God to make it right, because he cannot enact his own justice. He needs God's help. What ensues is David's prayer from his heart, his process of understanding God as judge. David goes through this journey, bringing up different questions about God's capability as a judge, but the beauty of this prayer is that in his wrestling, David determines that God is a trustworthy and righteous judge. Not the judge that David wants, but the judge that David needs. As we dig into David's song, his heartfelt prayer, we're going to see four parts of his prayer journey that leads to action. So the first realization of David's prayer journey is that God's judgment is always on time. When I look at our church, I'm always encouraged to see so many nationalities represented in one place, I think chapter 25 on an average Sunday. We really do get to see a glimpse of what heaven could be like. Different languages, different cultures, all worshiping the same God. Everyone in this room has a different story of how they got here, and some people have had a much more difficult journey to get here. So according to Open Doors, more than 360 million Christians worldwide suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That's a staggering one in seven believers. Some Christians flee their home country, leaving behind friends and family. But as they leave, the persecution in their home country doesn't seem to stop. It doesn't look like things are getting better. So many countries in this world still have persecuted Christians, and it doesn't seem like it is getting any better. We might wonder why God isn't enacting his justice faster. Why is God not working to bring justice in the places of evil? Within our congregation, we have people who can relate to David's plight. David cries out to the Lord because he doesn't have anywhere else to go but God. But in crying out to him, David thinks that God could work a little bit faster in a situation. There are Christians in this world who might be wondering when God will bring his justice. Let's look in verse 6. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. David takes us through some similar thoughts of persecuted Christians. He asks God to awake and decree justice as if God wouldn't do that already. It's interesting to see David give an almost impatient any day now to God. It's spoken in a way that seems that David might believe that God has lost interest, or maybe he's just unconcerned with what's going on. So David pleads with God to get moving on it. But for someone who looks around and sees no escape, no solution, no justice, David is quite desperate to see God judge the wicked. David might be thinking, is God not seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? Why wouldn't he enact his justice in God? Am I missing something? And the short answer is, yes, we are missing something about God's character. It's not that God doesn't see what we see, it's that he sees more than what we see. This enables God's timing to be based on much more comprehensive information than we could ever imagine. 
So while David pleads with God to act faster, there may be a little doubt that God's judgment has perfect timing. Fortunately, David continues his prayer journey so that he remembers more characteristics about God. So then this brings us to the second realization of David's prayer. God is most qualified to judge. David is working out the attributes of God's character in this lament. In order for us to believe God's timing is perfect, then we have to believe that God is most qualified. A few years after graduating university, I was summoned to be a juror in a murder trial. The trial went on for a month, and at the end, the jury ended up delivering, deliberating for three days, which the judge at the time said, like, that's a really long time. In the States, all 12 jurors must agree on the verdict or it becomes a hung jury, which means the case has to be tried again in front of a new jury. The difficulty was that not all the jurors agreed on whether or not there was reasonable doubt that the defendant was guilty. So the jury can only go off of evidence like the blood on the jeans, the murder weapon, or eyewitness testimonies. We would use this to determine the intent of the defendant. The burden is on the prosecution to make their case with no room for doubt. So we all talked through the evidence and took votes throughout the three days. How do we get inside the mind of the defendant based on the evidence? In reality, it's impossible to do that. And therefore, the burden of proof is so high, beyond a reasonable doubt was not achieved, and we found the defendant not guilty. As humans, we have to look at the facts of the outside world to determine the intention of the person on the inside. If you think about it, that's a very defective system. In contrast, David's prayer journey leads him to a God who doesn't have to rely on outside evidence. Let's see what David says in verses 8 and 9. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. We, the jury, couldn't get into the mind of the defendant. We could only make an educated choice. But God probes minds and hearts. He knows what we are thinking. He knows what our intentions are, better than we know ourselves. There is no one else who has the ability to do this. By having this at his disposal, God has to be the most qualified to judge because he isn't limited just to the evidence. He can examine our thoughts, our dreams, our fears, our feelings. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity. David knows and expects God to not only be the most qualified, but the most righteous. He knows that the innocent will be found innocent, and the guilty will be found guilty. 100% of the time. God can see everything going on and will always act rightly according to his righteous character. So David 
is open to God judging him because he believes he's innocent. And if God can examine everything, David is assured that God will also know of his innocence. This helps us believe that God may know what he's doing, timing and all. So we've seen that God's judgment is on time, and that God is the most qualified to judge, which leads us to the third thing we see. God is an active and dependable judge. I have a younger sister who's three years younger. We went to the same primary school, and I must have watched too many uh, television shows growing up because one of the things that I was afraid of was having to protect my sister from bullies. <laughs> now, nothing ever happened, but I remember watching shows where the younger sibling was having trouble with some older kids, the younger sibling comes home, is crying, tells the older brother what's happening, and the older brother defends the younger sibling's honor tells the older kids to pick on someone else their own size. This was terrifying for me, because I knew in any physical fight, I was going to lose. I know my wife would beat me in arm wrestling. So I would hope that my younger sister would not have any problems like that, or, you know, fight your own battles. But this is quite the opposite from God. David describes him as a God who is exactly who he needs to defend him. So let's look at verse 10. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Some of us may find this description of God the Judge a little violent. He displays his wrath every day, sharpening his sword, makes ready his flaming arrows. This is a description of a warrior. But think about it from the perspective of a father and his children. If his children are wrongly accused and have nowhere to turn, you want a father who is qualified, active, and dependable in protecting his children. David cries out to a God, his father who has every capability of protecting and defending him. And now I have a nine-month-old son, and I can start to understand this protection from a parent's perspective. It's almost innate for a father or mother to fight for their children to protect them. We can't do it perfectly by any means, but God can. He is fighting the battle and upholding justice as only God can. Many times when we see injustice or wrong that must be made right, it's easy to question whether God cares at all. <clears throat> if the timing is taking a bit too long for us, we start to think, maybe God doesn't see what I see. But as David is praying in his hour of need, as he speaks to his Heavenly Father in utter dependence, he continues on his journey, discovering God to be the best judge. It's there that he reconciles God's character and his perceived reality. God is righteous, God is qualified, and God is active and dependable. We can be confident that God will come through. His character protect his children. And armed with the confidence that God is the righteous judge, David lands on a final realization in this journey. 
God created the natural order to go along with his righteous justice. As David is nearing the end of this psalm, he realizes that God does not always need to enact justice now. Sometimes the natural consequence is fine. This concept is described in very dramatic terms, starting in verse 15. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and sweeps it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. David is describing the proverb, you reap what you sow. So my in-laws have a vegetable garden, and they have pears and tomatoes, courgettes, lettuce, among other things. And it would be ridiculous for them to plant tomato seeds and expect courgettes. Tomato seeds reap tomatoes. Courgette seeds reap courgettes. So this proverb is true in agriculture, but David knows that it's true in life as well. A healthy diet and consistent exercise are the tenets of a healthy lifestyle. For someone who eats fast food all the time and never gets off the sofa, it would be unreasonable to assume that person would maintain like physical health, you know, continuously. What you sow, what you reap, what you sow. So a lazy uni graduate all shows minimal effort at his job and expects to get a promotion. When his coworker gets a promotion, he can't say, "Oh, my boss doesn't like me. I deserve." We all know, like, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And those who are pregnant with evil, those who cause trouble, will have it recoil on them. God created the natural order to things. He doesn't always need to directly act. Sometimes, the natural consequence is plenty. And we all want to find some loophole to be able to circumvent the natural order of things. But God created the world. God created us. This is his design. His righteous justice is also in the fabric of the way this universe works. He is most qualified to enact justice, especially in the world that he created. So remember that David's prayer journey is in the midst of wrongful accusations. His reality is one of danger with his enemies pursuing him. David prays through God's perfect qualifications as a judge, as well as God's perfect design. But the truth about God's character still bumps up against his perception of reality. As much as David can tell himself, yes, God will protect me, he can't quite shape that feeling that danger is imminent. But isn't this the reality for a lot of us? Imagine the troubles and the danger that you are facing right now. Praying through God's character, knowing that he will protect us, is helpful, encouraging, and may give us peace. But this is not the only thing we can do. It may have been reasonable for David to end the psalm by knowing all these truths about God and declaring his confidence in the Lord, that his enemies will all suffer the fate and justice do them, but after all the realizations David takes, um, takes to heart, he has to take the next step. In verse 17, David says, 
I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. When the truth we know about God doesn't seem to line up with the reality that we see, we pray and are comforted by those truths. But David doesn't stop there. He gives thanks and praises the Lord Most High. I think this is the step that many of us struggle with. I am happy to say that my visa did eventually come, but when it was still in limbo, I comforted myself with the truths that I knew about God. But I didn't really want to thank God, and I didn't really want to praise Him. Even though I knew that God knew what He was doing, it was difficult for me to give thanks and praise God because I didn't have the outcome that I wanted yet. But knowing the truth about God is enough for us to praise the Lord, despite what our circumstances might be, even when we are being pursued by our enemies. Given David's situation, David needed a righteous, active, dependable, qualified judge, someone who could protect him from his enemies, and this is exactly the judge we have. So perfect a judge that we, as imperfect beings, are often not able to see what God sees. Our limitations make us perceive a disconnect from our situation in God's righteous judgment. And yet, David worshiped the Lord. So this is our challenge today. Throughout the prayer from David's heart, his situation didn't change. But by going through the unchanging character of God, it compelled David to give thanks and worship. And I encourage you today that no matter what your situation is, when we need help, we can take comfort that God is the perfect judge, even if it seems like our lives are in disarray. Let's give thanks to God at all times, but especially when our circumstances are dire. Let's praise God because he hasn't changed and he never will.